You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Like Steve said, we're still in Hosea. Hosea has been a, uh, a study where right now it's pretty dismal, right? I mean, Hosea is not bringing good news. We talked about this in our Sunday school class today. All the prophets, how would you, nobody would want that job, okay? God's coming down to them saying, hey, go tell my people, you know, kind of out them. You're the, you're the bad news bearer. You're the billboard that's going to say you're doing it wrong, Right? And so that's where Hosea finds himself, and we've already kind of covered some of the history. Um, today we're going to look at a passage that is, it ends in chapter 6, and then we're going to uh, go through the end of chapter 7. So remember when the, when the, the scriptures were written, it's a, it was a scroll. There weren't chapters and verses. It was, it was, it was a narrative or a story or a, a word from, from God. It was, it was this uh, inspired word that was written on scrolls, and they would unroll it and read it. Uh, we, much, much later, many hundreds of years later, actually added the chapters and verses. And it's super helpful for us. It helps us stay on track. We can memorize and say, oh, yeah, that's in such and such a place. It's in Corinthians 2, you know, second, second chapter. And then everyone else can go there. So it's real helpful for us. But we don't always, I think when they did it, they didn't always get it exactly right where the break was. I think they were trying. So today we're going to throw in the last verse of chapter 6 because it really fits sort of a new topic as it goes into. So it's a little weird thing. If you're going to re- look it up and follow along, just remember you're reading that last verse of chapter 6 before we jump into verse 7. Now the overarching kind of theme today is this. Now, we know that God's people have kind of strayed. If you've been with us for the first six chapters, God's made that abundantly clear. And we also see that the people are still trying to kind of go through these religious motions. So there's a lot of religiosity going on, but there's not a lot of changed hearts. And um, so God in this chapter sort of ramps it up a little bit. He's going to add an additional level of accountability, and we'll talk about that just a little bit as we get, uh, get going in this. Because now he's going to tell you, um, and I've entitled this today, God Sees. God's telling them, uh, I see you, and I see what you're doing. And I'm telling you now that I see what you're doing, so you know that I see. So it's kind of that bad. You know that I know. You know that I know. But there's no more excuses now. This is God's ramping this up and say, I, I see it, and now you know I see it, and I'm telling you exactly what it is. And that's kind of the problem. So... I see three basic ideas problem-wise. Here's the issues going on. And you could break this up any number of ways. This is how I chose to do it today. First of all, people are refusing to recognize and acknowledge their sin. They know things are going badly. They, they know that um, their, their culture is spilling into this kind of evil and dark uh, society. But they haven't made they connected the dots. They're not seeing that they are the problem. They're trying to blame everything else, and, and so that's the first thing. They refuse to recognize. Secondly, they're trying to ease their guilty conscience because they're continuing to go through these religious motions, which, by the way, they don't even know what they're about. 
And we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. They don't even remember the law, really, but they're going through all these motions. And they're doing that uh, by trying to keep these ceremonies that they don't fully understand as if God could be fooled. It's like a distraction, like he's saying, hey, God, look over there. And then they live their life this way. But look at what I'm doing here. But I, but I sacrificed a dove or whatever I did. And so that's the second uh, major problem. And then the third thing, the third uh, thing is this. God sees it all. <laughs> You're only fooling yourself. There, he sees their sin, their refusal to acknowledge it, and this pitiful attempt at religious activity. And God sees that it's just empty words and motions. He says, yeah, but I see how you're living. I see what your heart is doing. Remember last week he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He wants a change in their heart, not a bunch of religious motions. And so that's kind of, that's, we're going to kind of come out of that shell today as we look at what God is saying to his people. We'll jump right into the text. I'm only going to read the first four verses. You can read along. So this is 6.11 through 7.3 in Hosea. And then we're going to stop and talk about that for a minute because it's kind of an individual piece. And then God gets more details. So we'll read the second part afterwards. It says this. Also, Judah, there is a harvest appointed for you. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim is uncovered and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief enters in, bandits raid outside, and they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their deeds are all around them, and they are before my face. With their wickedness, they make the king glad and the, prince, the princes with their lies. So, so they really are fooling themselves. See, they, they think they're getting away with it. God says, no, 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 I see it. It's before my face. But you're just running around doing all these evil things. As a matter of fact, you're putting up this front so that the kings and the princes, you just kind of make them happy. You just do what you have to do to kind of look good. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought you were getting away with it? Getting away with something? So I've got a couple of examples I want to talk about. Uh, these, one of them is a personal example. So um, over the last uh, maybe 13, 14 months, my wife and I have kind of used, uh, uh, changed our our nutrition, uh, we ate differently and we used it kind of a plan where we were controlling ourselves a little better. And we've lost weight. Now, I've lost, um, I don't know, 30 pounds or so. And she's lost, she's been way more successful and she looks great. She's already beautiful, but now she's even more so. And um, so we were doing that. We're kind of really, and we were really, man, we were keeping it. Toe to the line. We were doing what we're supposed to do. But I remember maybe six months into it or something, we were having good success. I was at work, and um, as you know, sometimes I work at the hospital. So uh, I, I was there all night working, and then I still, you don't get like the next day off. So I just had to work the next day. So, but I got done like at noon. So they were going to let me get out early because I've been there late. And I was hungry, man. I was hungry. And, uh, and I was tired. I didn't want to have to go home and cook. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to eat something that was easy. Now, on my way home, I work in Decatur. On my way home, it's not really on the way, but it's not far out of the way, okay? There's a Burger King. Um, now, I love BK, okay? Of all the fast food burger joints, BK is, is my number one. I um, mean, it just ranks right above Taco Bell, but that's not burgers. Um, but I know it's not really on our plan, I mean, if you've been on a diet, you recognize that BK is on your plan, right? Um, so, but I thought, so then I thought this, you know, I can go to Burger King and I got about a 22 minute drive home. I can easily polish off a Whopper with cheese, no onion, no tomato, and a large fry. And I got a diet Dr. Pepper, just saying. 
And so I did this. So I, I'm just telling you, it was delicious. Uh, so, so, okay, it was good. So, but here's my plan. So I'm going to get home. Now, in my garage, I have my own little trash barrel. It's kind of just where I throw junk from the, you know, when I'm working in the shop or whatever. I thought, you know, I can throw that, just wad that thing up, throw it in the trash thing in the, in the, in the garage, hit the house. Debbie's at work. She's not even going to see me coming anyway, so she won't like, she's like, hey, fry breath. That's not going to happen. So, so I go in. I'm like, yeah, cool. No big deal. Got away with it, man. Did it. I go catch up on my sleep, whatever. So time goes on. A couple weeks later, we're talking, and we're talking about um, how, the, how, our, how our nutrition's going and talk about, yeah, it's been a struggle, you know. It's, we're talking about how the hard times, you get tempted to do this or that, and, you, try, you know, how do we make good choices? And she goes, oh, yeah, like uh, maybe ordering a Whopper with cheese meal. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, like last Tuesday. Like, how did you know? Now, I'm a creature of habit, so... I concocted what I thought was a pretty good plan. But I had this thing where I, when I get receipts, I just stick them in my back left pocket all the time. And the other habit is, most of the time, not always, but I, when I walk in the house, just out of habit, just reach in and grab them and throw them on the counter because some things Debbie records, some things she throws away, whatever it would be. And I paid with cash, too. I'm thinking, I'm not leaving a credit card trail, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I already done away with the other evidence, uh, not evidence, uh, trash. Um, in the garage. So, yeah. She says, well, I walked in that day and here right on the top of the thing was this big fat receipt. This is Burger King. Whopper with cheese meal. No onion, no tomato. Large fry. And a diet Dr. Pepper. So, you know, you think you get away with stuff, but in the end of the day, it usually comes back to bite you. So that's kind of a funny story. One more story and then we'll move into, because I think this next one actually is, is a better example. So there was a professor that had some students and he had a test coming up. And, um, and these four guys that were in this class decided they had already planned uh, in their calendar to go out and carouse and party and whatever you do in college, you know, I, I wouldn't know. Um, and so they were going to go out this night before the test instead of studying. And so they did. And they got up the next day and they were like, dude, there's no way I'm going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to totally flail this test. It's going to be bad. So they decided they'd make up a story. So they got themselves, kind of messed their clothes up and got a little dirty. And they went to the professor and they, said, and they were all like disheveled because probably that's how they woke up. But they go in and they're like, uh, hey, man, we went to a wedding yesterday. And on the way back, my tire blew out and we don't have a spare. We had to push our car all the way back to campus. We didn't get a study. And it's, you know, we're just, can you give us a couple extra days? And the professor's like, um, he's just taking it all in. He's like, yeah, I can do that. We'll give you a couple days. Sure. So these guys walk out going, Bonus, man. This is like righteous, you know, got it done. Got, totally fooled him. So they come in for the test, and he separates them into four separate rooms, and he passed out the test. There was one question on the test. Anybody know? Tire. Which tire was it that blew out? <laughs> yeah, right? So here's this professor. So I'm, I'm, trying to see, I'm trying to see some parallels here. These are, this is the people now in the time of Hosea that think they're fooling God. First of all, they've forgotten God, and Steve's going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But they do know that he's there, and they do know that there's some things that they're supposed to be doing, and they're supposed to be living a certain way. But I think there's some parallels here. See, these students thought they had this legit, they were trying to look legitimate. But the professor saw, and right away, he knew. He saw their wrongdoing. And then when he gave them the test, he did a couple things. He was outing them, 
What he said in the test was basically, hey, I know what you did. And now you have to contemplate what you did. Both parties now are fully aware of what their wrongdoing was. These guys probably didn't really think it was that wrong. They just thought they'd fooled somebody. So just like these, this professor, God is now looking at the people in, in Ephraim. And he's acknowledging how destructive their behavior is. He's telling them, I see what you're doing. In this opening passage we read, it said, I see it. It's your, it's, your sin is before my face. But you run around and you got raids outside and a thief is, you know, all these allusions to things that you're like, you're not really aware of. A, sneak, a thief is sneaking around like you don't know he's there. They were fooling no one except themselves. See, I think most, most of the time, the origin of almost every sin we could have and every way we run from God is we deceive ourselves. Yes, we can be deceived. Someone can lead us into that. But in order for us to believe the lie, we have to deceive ourselves, per- particularly those of us that are in Christ. If, things are, if we're exposed to things, you know, the Holy Spirit's there, you know, I shouldn't be doing that, or that's a little sketchy. But you can talk yourself into it, right? You can deceive yourself into thinking, well, no one's going to get hurt. You know, it's just a whopper, whatever. So, so in order to make it very clear how he sees them, God starts giving examples and imagery so that he can tell them, this is what you're like. He uses a couple of, there's these literary tools. There's metaphor. Metaphor would be like uh, Man, my wife's a fireball. She's not really a fireball. What I'm saying is she has some of the same attributes, right? I'm saying she's like, oh, this energy and everything. And that would not be my wife, by the way. So I'm just, that's just an example. Um, or you could say my wife is like a fireball. So that's not a metaphor. That's called a simile. When you use the word like, it turns into a simile. If you don't use the word like and you're comparing two things, that's called a metaphor. Then there's other stuff, the allegories and stuff that I don't even know what they are. Um, so God's going to use these pictures, these word pictures, to give them ideas that they can clearly understand to demonstrate how foolish and how sinful they are. So we're going to read this, the rest of this section now, so the rest of chapter 7. So we're starting in verse 4 of chapter 7, and it's a long section, but just, just read along with me. It says, they are all, and he's talking about the people again, they are all adulterers. Like an oven heated by the baker who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers, for their hearts are like an oven as they approach their plotting. Their anger smolders all night. In the morning, it burns like a flaming fire. All of them are hot like an oven, and they consume their rulers, and their kings have fallen. None of them calls on me. Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. We're going to talk about that. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Gray hairs are also sprinkled on him, yet he does not know it. Though the pride of, the, though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all this. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. And when they go, I will spread my net over them, and I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. 
Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. And they do not cry to me from their heart when they wail on their beds. For the sake of new wine and grain, they assemble themselves. They turn away from me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but not upward. They're like a deceitful bow. Their princes will fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongues. This will be their derision in the land of Egypt. Whoa. That's harsh, man. That's harsh. We see this devious plotting going on by God's people. And he starts off and he says, it's like an oven that the baker prepares. Now, you need to know a little bit about the history here, what, he, what he's talking about. So two, two parts to this, and I'll talk about them separately. First of all, when they, when they would bake, uh, they you know, bake bread in the morning typically. So what they did is they would get the coals kind of hot, but they wouldn't stir them up so they'd flame. They would just let them smolder through the night, and that would keep the oven warm, and it would generate that. So in the morning, they just toss on some new fire and stir it up a little bit. And poof, you got this big fire and you can generate, bring the heat up and bake your bread. So that's cool. That's great for the baker. But what God is saying is you're doing this with your sin. You're considering it. You're letting your anger and your evil smolder through the night. You're thinking about it, contemplating all the time, preparing for the time when you could just dump a little extra wood on there and stir it up and can act out your evil Desires, whatever they would be. See, the picture, he turns it on its head. A thing that normally is used as a way to, to be prepared quickly, you're, you're already thinking ahead about how you can be devious and deceitful and run from God. That's a pretty crazy indictment. Do you think we have so little faith that God is who he says he is, that he doesn't see that? that, that he doesn't really know you, that he doesn't really understand. Are we so faithless? Have we forgotten our God completely? Which is, we're going we're gonna to see as chapters eight and nine go on, we're going to see this played out where God says, you, you just forgotten me. They actually have to go dig up the scrolls because they haven't had them out for a while. Have we forgotten God? Do we not believe who he says he is such that we think we can hide something? Like, oh, he won't know that's there. It's just, it's just silly. Or, or that we can, we can hide something and then at the same time roll into some religious activity. Like, hey, God, look over there. And then we, you know, look that way. Don't look over here. Like, he's not going to know that this is there. Like, we can somehow fool him. You can't distract God from who you are. I think that everybody in here either is currently got something in your life that you're keeping back or you're hiding or you're, or you're, you're harboring or you're thinking, ah, oh, it's not really hurting anybody and it's not a big deal. Or, or maybe you have in the past before God exposed it. I, I think that's very common human experience. I would say everybody in here is either in one of those two camps. You have before thought God didn't see something until he revealed it. Or you're fooling yourself, even at this very moment, thinking there's something that nobody else knows, and so God probably doesn't either. And it's simply foolishness, because the reality is there is no place we can go where God doesn't see you and know you. And I don't mean know you like I know my wife even. I mean 
more than that. God knows you more than you know you. There is nothing about you that God hasn't known, doesn't currently know, and doesn't already know about you yet to come. He sees it all. There's this beautiful picture that um, God revealed to King David about the knowing, how God knows us. And I'm going to read that. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to it. It's, it's beautiful. David writes this amazing poem, and it is just fantastic. But it tells us, it gives us a picture of knowing the way God knows. It says this. This is Psalm 139. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit up and when I, or when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What a beautiful picture of the way God knows you. How comforting and wonderful is it that you don't have to hide because you can't. Because he decided in the midst of knowing us that he loved us. Just let that sink in for a minute. That thing you're hiding, he already knows. And guess what? He still loves you. So it's beautiful and it's wonderful. However... Think about the situation of the people in the time of Hosea. Those words, an understanding of being known in that way, could also be very terrifying. You recognize that he knows. And you've been, you know, toying around and playing around and trying to fool God all this time. And then you realize he sees. God sees. You know what else he sees? He sees that you don't see. It says in, uh, in these pictures, um, God starts giving these, these neat little tricks or these little uh, similes and metaphors again. He says um, they're like the dove, the silly dove. He's aimless, doesn't have any direction. He's spending all this energy and nothing's being accomplished. God calls out his people boldly through these examples. When he says, you're like a cake that is unturned. Now, in that day, we talked about how the ovens work. But when they made bread, bread was made like a cake. It was a thin, large 
piece, and they would put it in the oven, and then at the right time, they would come and they would turn it over so that the heat from the fire would get both sides done. He says, you're like an unturned cake. You're half-baked, man. You're not getting it right. I'm trying to think of a current example. Let's say you made a pancake, and you just pour the... Oh, man, pancakes. Whew. I'm sorry. You just pour the, the batter in the griddle, right? And then you never turn it. And what you're doing, you're standing there waiting for the top to look like it might be kind of done. And then you just throw it on your plate. You go to dig in, and guess what you find? It is totally scorched on the bottom. It's scorched on the bottom. It's doughy in the middle. It's little half runny, maybe just slightly dry on top. It's worthless. You throw that out because it can't be used, can't be eaten. God says, you're like that. You're like the, the pancake you never turned. And here's another little thing. The, the, the pancake that's against the heat has no idea what's happening to the top of the pancake. The two sides don't recognize each other. God says, you're in the middle of this. You're, you've got your face turned toward a false god and you're, you're back toward me. This is burning you up, but you can't see your ice cold toward me. Because the one side doesn't know the other side. He says, you don't know yourself. But then he says, but I see. And I see that you don't see. You see the message he's doing? You see what he's doing? He says, you're a two-faced people. They don't see the severity of their darkness. He says, their pride has blinded them. See, you can't be hot for false gods and also be hot for God, for Yahweh, the God, creator. He's like, There's, you can choose one source for your warmth and your heat, but you can't choose both. It's like an oven. The fire is only in one spot. And we're letting ourselves get burnt alive in these idols and this false worship while we're ice cold toward him. We're not being completed. We can't be used. Our intended purpose was to be the perfect pancake or the perfect bread, and we're, we're not. We're good for being thrown out. He says their strength is devoured. He says, God, uh, that they are aging and weakening. He says their pride testifies against them. He says, your hair's turning gray, but you don't see it. He says, you're like a deceitful bow. I, I love that image. A deceitful bow. What is that? What is that? So if, if you're going into battle, you've you got this army, right? You've you got 200 archers, probably back in that day, 50 archers, whatever. So you've got your number of archers, and you're thinking, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to set the pace. I'm going to send these bows down there and set things up so when I send my people in, we're going to have victory. And you look down, and they're, they look like they're these majestic, strong, powerful bows. But God said they're deceitful. They're bows that are lies. You, you either pull back and put the tension on it and it just flies apart because it's brittle and broken and not, not made appropriately. Or maybe it's got some weird thing and you fling the arrow and the arrow slings around and hits your own people. God says it's a lie. You're putting your hope in a lie. You're not turning to me. He says, you're going to these other countries. You're resting in the gods of Assyria and the gods of Egypt. I'm right here. It's just, it's a terrible indictment. And I think what makes it worse is, and we talked about this in our Bible study or in our Sunday school class this morning. Um, 
This is a people that's multi-generational now, like walking afar from God. Um, we'll find out, as, as you, if you're reading ahead, you find out that they haven't even gotten the scrolls out and read them in years, maybe generations. The, the king was going to have to go forward and kind of dig them out, like you're finding an old book out of the temple and open it up. Oh my gosh, look at all this. I mean, they kind of know the, the, the ritual, the religiosity of it all. They know, oh, yeah, I got to go and I got to, you know, kill the dove or kill the lamb and I gotta, we got to burn it and we got to go through the thing and I got to not walk on Saturdays more than 100 feet and I got to, you know, make the. But they had no idea what it's all about. They just do it, they have no idea what it means. But now God says, Oh, so you've forgotten all that. Okay, let me remind you. And now that I remind you, now you're accountable. You can't use the, well, I, I didn't realize anymore. Because now he's, he's taking that option off the table. This excuse where, well, my grandfathers didn't even tell me and my fathers didn't tell me. How would I know? He's okay, well, I'm telling you now. And now that excuse is out of the way. And now... What's, what's going to happen? He even tells them, but you're still not going to follow me. You're still not going to chase after me. I'm going to point it out to you, make myself known, make, make it known how you're going the wrong way, and you're still not going to come back. It's really not good. And, and so now we're going to stop here today in, in the passage. Uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 8 next week. It's like a cliffhanger. It's like, what's going to happen? You know, you see the scene, the, the main character in the show is over here, some out of the darkness, a gun pulls out and it goes, bam, and then they go cut the credits. You're like, who did it? Who shot JR or whatever, right? God's just laying into his people saying, you've forgotten me, but I see it. You think I don't see it, but I do. And now I'm telling you I do. And I'm telling you also, you don't see it. So now you have no excuse. Now it's before you as it was before me. Now what? And so that's where we're leaving. I was like, oh, what? Hiccup. So you have to wait for the next couple of weeks to kind of see how the story plays out. But it doesn't look good. It looks very abysmal for his people. And you're going to find, as you read through the Old Testament, this is like one of like 30 times. It's just this never-ending we're going to wander away from God. He's going to come down and pound on us a little bit. And then we get a little group that will wake up and go, oh, my gosh, we got to change this and fix it. And then they kind of come back. And then, and then when it gets easy again, then they fall away. And then God has to come down and pound on them some more. And I'm here to tell you that it's probably still happening today. We have the completed scripture now that we can address. We have the promise that they were given in that day through the law, through, through the whole ceremonial process, through the idea of sacrifice. They knew they were looking, these people may not have because they'd forgotten, but generally, they knew they were looking forward to some hope. They didn't know how God was going to do it, but they knew God was going to raise someone up and it was going to fix everything. And their faith in that is what kept them uh, in, in God's righteousness, that kept them in, in place. We have more than that now. God already did it. God came through Jesus, and now we have that. I would say in some ways, particularly in the church, we're more accountable than the people of Hosea's day because we know God has revealed to us that he sees 
And he says, and let me make it very clear that the way out is through your repentance, through your turning away and allowing my son to fix your penalty problem. So what's God asking? What's God asking his people in Hosea? Well, he's asking them, first of all, just to see it. You have to see it. You have to acknowledge. You have to agree with me on this. What does God expect us as we read Hosea? What is God hoping that we'll maybe be able to see you know, where, where, where we're at in God's big story? See, I think what we have is Hosea's people are in a position where they think they're the story. And if they, if they bring God in, God's just a little part of their story. But God's, I think, trying to say, no, 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 it, it's my story. You're just a little nitpick nothing piece in my story. But I chose that, so I'm going to love you, and I'm going to let you then be the blessing that brings all this into my story. And now we're stuck with the same question. Are we in God's story or we think he's in ours? Do we agree with what God says about us? Are we all, uh, am I, I going to be a person who decides I'm just going to get a self-help book and help myself? And I'll just say one thing with that. Good luck with that. Man's wisdom has done nothing through history but let us down. I'm looking at you, Adam, and everyone else who pushed back against God's wisdom. It's just not going to work. But I do think there's some takeaways we can, we can have today. There's a hundred takeaways in the story. I'm going to pick three because that's what you're supposed to do when you put together a message is you pick three. So we're picking three. And I think these kind of encompass a lot of things. And we'll, we'll kind of pour through them as we go. Um, I think, it, first of all, this. We have to continuously ask God to search out our heart for whatever he would reveal there. If there's an area where you are deceiving yourself, you are now deceived, which means you're probably not going to see it. You trying to look for it isn't going to work because you're deceived. If you've been told the sky is red and you're running around looking for a crayon to, point, to paint in your, in your picture, to color your sky in your thing, you're not looking for the blue crayon because you've been deceived. You're not going to see the blue crayon. You're going to see the red crayon. You can't self-analyze and self-reflect enough in God's absence to make a difference on what you find there. You're hiding it from yourself. You're hiding it from yourself. Only God reveals. Only God reveals, and only God reveals perfectly. So that's the first thing. We search, God, search my heart. David prayed this. We can read it in the Psalms. Um, secondly, when he reveals it, we have to acknowledge it and agree with it. We can't say, well, that's not really there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like that. No, uh, you're like that. Bad news. You're like that. But the beautiful thing is, particularly for those in Christ, when he reveals it, you can agree with it, and it's okay because he doesn't judge you 
by it. Once you agree, he says, good, now we can work with that. Now I can take it from you. And that's the third thing. We've got to seek God's plan for restoration for what he reveals. And we do that through his son, Jesus. This sounds simple, and technically, it is. But it's really, really, really hard. Because we're so deceived. We're so hiding it from ourselves. And I'm talking about things like this. So you cannot just go through a bunch of um, make-me-feel-good activities to make yourself right with God. It's because we're hiding it from ourselves. I'm, if I say that 10 more times, do I get a set of steak knives or something? Um, I'm serious. You could be leading a Bible study. I could be preaching this message. You could be an elder in your church. You could be feeding the poor. You could be covering every base that you see in all of Scripture. But if in your heart, your motivations and your attitudes are bad, and in secret, you're ugly, you're not righteous. You're deceiving yourself. The previous chapter, what did God say? In, in, in five, he, or was it five or six? Five, I think. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? Mercy is a reflection of a changed heart. Sacrifice is a bunch of religious activity. See, people, we, we go through the sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to use sacrifice as an example of like church activity, right? Because that's, that's where we're at in the story. Doing the sacrifices, the ceremony of the law, going through those motions does not give you a new heart. Paul taught that. The law couldn't do it. What happens is this. God says, no, 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 give me your heart. And you know what will happen then? You'll just go over here and do this. You'll you'll do these motions because they just flow out of a changed heart. You'll give mercy. You'll love others. You'll want to please God. Not to get his affection, because of his affection. It's completely flipped on its head. It's so anti what we believe in our world. you got to earn everything. You can't earn God. God says, I am free. However, what you got to do is let go of everything else you're holding. Because there's no room in there. you got to push it all out so I can come in. But there's no cost. As far as earning it. There's a cost for owning it. Once God comes in and owns you, oh, it's going to feel like there's a cost. And this is what the people of of that time were doing. They didn't didn't recognize the cost. You can't just say you're a believer. You got to live it. If you went down and prayed at an altar at a meeting and they said, um, all right, you know, you're saved, you, you, you accepted Jesus. If you go home and nothing changes and you don't have any intention of living differently, guess what? It didn't happen. You didn't mean it. That's harsh. Maybe controversial, but I'm telling you, God can't come into you and you be the same. It can't happen. You can't serve this other God. You can't keep secrets and God change your life. So I'm going to encourage you this week, ponder, ponder these things. This idea of being, opening yourself up, being laid bare before God, because he already knows it's there. He just needs you to let him expose it to you.
And I'm, I'm preaching to me too. I gotta, be, I gotta be more open. And then we can trust that when we do that, we don't get condemnation, we get forgiveness. Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking to give you love and mercy and peace and grace because he's already offered it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of how you uh, called out your people, how you revealed to them their ignorance, how you revealed to them their sin and their self-deceit. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts today the same way. Show us where you want us to be. Show us what you want us to leave and where you want us to go. Father, give us your spirit to guide us. I pray that we are open to receive that, that we would hear, we would open ears. And then, Father, I pray against the evil one who would tell us if we confess that we're somehow condemned. We confess because you'll forgive us. You'll, write, you'll make us right. You'll change us and make us new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.